0: And now, get ready for real topics and real answers on this episode of Real Talk. Here's your hosts, Greg Alderdice and Matt Brewer. Welcome to Real Talk. My name is Matt Brewer, and with us today is Greg Alderdice, who's going to talk more about Gen Z and technology. This is actually the last episode in our series on the upcoming generations, so Greg, let's get right to it. We hear a lot about Gen Z and technology. I know you have some statistics and research to give us on how teenagers use technology, so what can you tell us?
1: I want to jump in and give you some statistics really quick and I'm not really gonna comment on these statistics I think you can understand some of these and some of them will be uh, presented without comment because they're pretty shocking in and of themselves so um, just a few statistics for you uh, 98% of Gen Z owns a smartphone now I know there's 2% that may not uh, but according to the research 98% own a smartphone of Gen Z in the United States receive a mobile service plan between the ages of 10 and 12. 91% of Gen Z have their digital devices in bed with them in the evening. 40% of Gen Z say that working Wi-Fi is more important to them than working bathrooms. 32% of Gen Z would rather go three days without a shower than a week without their phone. Some of them probably do that. 71% of Gen Z uses Snapchat more than six times per day, and 51% use it 11 times per day. 25% of Gen Z say that Snapchat is essential for their relationships. Gen Z uses up to five different social channels per day. 75% of Gen Z watches YouTube videos weekly. 42% 42% of Gen Z say that social media affects their self-esteem, which is up higher than any other generations before them. And then finally the last statistic here, 44% of Gen Z checks in on social media at least hourly with 7% checking in more than 15 more often than 15 minutes a day.
0: Yeah, so I'm kind of speechless after all of that. Um. You're right. That's some shocking stuff. I mean, it it basically their phone is in their hand all day long, whether they're on it or not. It's it's right there, within what maybe two feet of their body, at all times of the day. So you shared these statistics. What are some concerns
1: that come from all of this? Obviously, there's a lot of concerns and telling Matt before this, we probably could have broken this up into two episodes, but I'm going to try to go through some of this pretty quickly. But I've kind of broken down the concerns that I have into three words. Um, and the first word is content. Our teenagers are consuming content at an alarmingly high rate. Perhaps one of the most concerning things about how much content they consume is how little their parents know about What content they are seeing mm. A recent survey of American parents revealed that less than half 40% of parents know the content their children are seeing through social media so this tells us that 60% of parents have little to no idea what content their teenagers are consuming not about you but that's pretty concerning and I just want to comment on this really quickly. Our teenagers are consuming a lot of content through social media, uh, through technology, and I'm going to talk a little bit about more of this about the end of the podcast, but um, we need to be monitoring that in in some way. I'm not going to say that you got to know every single thing that's coming through their phone, but you got to have an idea of what's going on. So so content is one concern. Another concern is is screen time. Depending on the research you look up, you're going to find a lot of different results. I've seen some studies say The average is four and a half hours. I've seen some studies say that it's nine and a half hours. Regardless of how you split it or what the actual answer is, uh, teenagers are spending a lot of time looking at a screen. Um, Robert Lustig, a professor of pediatrics focused on endocrinology at the University of Southern California, uh, and he wrote a book called The Hacking of the American Mind, said this at a conference. Kids are definitely addicted. It's not a drug, but it might as well be. It works the same way, or at least it has the same results. And something I've read in, in previous years is that if you were to look at their brain waves mm-hmm. uh, when uh, have they have been on technology or on their phones for quite some time, um, it's very similar to a brain that looks like it's been addicted to drugs. And so that's kind of where that's coming from. And, and new research uh, is even suggesting that greater amounts of screen time are associated with more insomnia symptoms and short sleep duration among adolescents. And insomnia is happening frequently and it's connected to depressive symptoms. If you listen last week, a lot of this stuff ties back together. And, and just think about this from a practical standpoint. Um, they have this phone in front of them for maybe an hour or two or even more before they go to bed. They've had this screen that emits a lot of light in front of them. And so what's happening with teenagers is they're going to sleep um, and if they actually fall asleep at a reasonable hour, it's really tough for their brains to shut down. And so they may be sleeping, but they're not getting that REM sleep. They're not getting that good sleep because their mind is still processing everything that they were just exposed to right before bed. And so too much of something can in fact be a bad thing. And then the third thing I want to talk about is just social media's in game, And I could talk a whole lot about this, but social media platforms such as instagram snapchat TikTok, facebook twitter so many others uh, that our students are on uh, they have one goal Uh, how can we keep people on our platform Mm -hmm. these people don't create their apps and design it based on what's best for you and me they do it with one goal how can we get them addicted how can we get them to spend hours upon hours on our social media platform you look at snapchat now i personally do not have a snapchat um, it came out when I was in college and for various reasons, I do not have it. But, um, Snapchat has this thing called streaks and you gotta have a message sent to someone or a picture message sent to someone to keep that streak going, uh, with a particular person. And I've literally heard students talk about how if they don't keep that streak going, then that friendship might not be that greater. It might end. And we kind of look at that and we it's like, kind of silly. That's kind of ignorant, but that's how they view that, uh, that's one way Snapchat has dominated the game and keeping people um, engaged with their app. They do things like this that keep them on it constantly. Uh, TikTok. Admittedly, I don't know just a whole lot about TikTok. Again, it's another social media platform that I do not have, but I know that TikTok is. Uh, surrounded by the idea of short videos uh, that you can watch one after another, after another, after another, and our students do it. Um, (laughs) I I feel old saying this as a youth pastor, but the TikTok trends totally just blow my mind uh, because I don't know a whole lot about them. I see our students doing that, and they're like, oh, it's on TikTok. And I'm like, what does that even mean? uh, But again, they have one goal, and that is to get people addicted to it and to stay on it as much as they possibly can. So social media has one
0: goal, and that's to keep kids addicted, or adults for that matter as well. So the parents should have one goal in my mind. That's the way I'm viewing it. Hearing those statistics from earlier and then hearing that only 40% are managing it, maybe not even that, or them are managing it well of what their kids are are viewing, I want to be part of that 40%. So if social media is trying to keep them addicted, I'm sitting here thinking, what can I do to make sure that doesn't happen, that they can learn how to use it and manage it properly? So my question is, how can we as adults help Gen Z through some of these concerns?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. There's a lot of things uh, we can do and that we should do. Um, and Matt's talked a lot about this throughout this series. But we've got to model the behavior we want from our kids. If we're constantly on our phones, guess what? They're going to be on their phones, too. Uh, So that means that we have to be off our phones. That means we have to be setting times where we spend time together as families and and use that intentionally. But another thing we could do is use screen restrictions. Uh, Limit time on apps for both yourself and your kids. Um, One of the most depressing things, and, and Matt and I have talked about this, is every Sunday morning during the first service of our church, we get an alert on our phone that tells us this is how many hours and minutes you've spent on your phone per average for the week. And I'll be honest, sometimes it's convicting. It's just like, man, I've been on my phone this much. And so I'm going to say this for your kids, but I'm also going to say it for you. Limit the time you spend on apps for both yourself and your kids. Um, And and what that means is, and you can Google it. I know I I have an iPhone, and so you can literally go into an iPhone, uh, into the settings, and you can say this is how many minutes I want my kid or myself to be on this app. And when it's up, it's up. You can't get on it anymore unless you go in and override it. Um, but but go over that with your teenager and say, hey, what do you think is a reasonable amount of time to be on an app? And they're probably going to say uh, a number that's higher than you want, and you kind of have a little negotiation there. Let them be a part of this so that it's something they've agreed to. Um, but, but limit time on apps. Block adult content. This is something that's so easy to do that is so often not done with um, – technology nowadays with with teenagers you can block adult content uh, easily uh, from your phone again i have an iphone i know that's a very easy thing to do if you have a another phone you can google these different things and uh, you can do that but there's other resources um, there's three apps uh, one is called Teensafe. Uh, another one is called bark like a dog um, and another one is called circle these are all parental control apps that help you monitor their content their content Uh, And be honest, some of these things cost money. It's not a whole lot of money per month. Uh, But after all that we've talked about with technology, I think you would agree it's definitely worth the investment to help you monitor this stuff. Uh, Another resource is Common Sense Media. Uh, They have a ton of good resources on almost anything you could want, ranging from apps and games to movies and TV. Your kid may come up to you and say, hey, I want to download this app. And you're like, I've never heard of that app. Rather than just letting them download it, go to Common Sense Media, type in the app, and they're going to give you the good, bad, and the ugly. And and all these apps are going to have the ugly side to them, but it's better to be aware of that going into it than just to agree to it blindly. Um, So you can have those resources to help you out as you help to manage the content with your teenagers. Another thing you do is just be realistic with expectations. Uh, You're the parent, so you make the rules. Um, And I just want to caution you. I've seen it go a number of ways. I've seen some parents who don't manage any of their content. I've seen some parents who don't let their kids have a phone, and I'm not the judge or the jury of any of that, but I would caution you about not letting them have anything. Uh, because the day will come where they will have a phone, they will have a device uh, when they're not under the roof of your house anymore. And the last thing I think anybody would want is for that kid to go crazy consuming all of the content all at once. And so the best advice I could give is to teach your teenager to use this responsibly so that when they are out on their own, it won't consume them. And so that they know how to properly manage it. And then as with anything else we've talked about, have a conversation. If you're doing this when they're 12, like I think the biggest thing we worry about is our, our students getting on technology and, and viewing things they shouldn't be, such as pornography, such as all these things that we wouldn't want them to view. Well, hey, if you talk to them when they're 12 and say, hey, we're going to get you a phone, and here's what we're going to do. We're going to block some of this stuff off. Well, why? Well, we don't want you looking at this. Well, when they're 12, they're probably not going to want to look at that stuff. And so have the conversation then, block it off then so that when they're older, you've had that conversation with them. Let them be a part of this process. It doesn't mean they're going to understand everything that you're trying to say, what you're trying to protect them from, but have the conversation so that they can at least see there's a logical line of thought there and that you are genuinely concerned. If all you say is, well, we're just going to do this because I want you to, well, that's not going to be helpful for them down the road as they learn to process and deal with all this because... That's the reason we want to do all this. You know, they need to see the rhyme and the reason to any restrictions that you put on their technology.
0: And Greg, I'm going to throw one more question at, at you. We've talked for weeks about Generation Alpha, Gen Z. Are there any final thoughts as we close out this series on the upcoming generations?
1: I would just say that more than we would think, these generations strive to make a difference. They have qualities about them that you know. you've talked about. They want to connect. They want to do all these things. This is what the church is here for. The church is here to help them connect. It's here to help them make a difference. I think what's missed sometimes um, in that is that we tend to look down, we've talked about this, at the generation and the differences they have and the quirks that they have and all the things that they don't do that we used to do or the things that we don't do that they now do. And I think it's really easy to be lost in translation They can live for Jesus just like we have. It may look different. It may not be quite what we did, but they can strive to make a difference in the world just as all the generations before them. And what better way to reach this generation than with the ones who were in the generation? Yeah, I'll echo all of that. We do hope you've enjoyed the series
0: on the upcoming generations. We hope you've learned something from all of this. And we do hope you've been encouraged by some of what we have shared. But know we're here for you. We are on your side. And if you have any other questions or concerns, uh, Greg and I are here. We would love for you to reach out. As always, please leave us a rating or a review. We'd appreciate that. And thank you for listening to Real Talk. This has been Real Talk with your hosts, Greg Alderdice and Matt Brewer. Make sure to stay tuned for future episodes.